you present, you talk about cool technology, you educate people. We're just like little gnomes that pop up everywhere. (laughs) Call our name, boom, we're there. This is Translate Your Training, where we explore non-academic careers in the life sciences and talk to professionals about what aspects of their PhD training were most important for their careers and how they translated their training. We're your hosts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Gabby. First episode, how exciting. So how are we going to start off the podcast? Which career do we get to explore first? I'm actually really excited for this episode because I got to talk to Allie, which was my mentor when I was rotating during my first year in grad school. At the time, she was a postdoc in a lab I was interested in joining. Even though my rotation with her was short, it was only six weeks long, we built a pretty lasting friendship. I even went to her wedding. She was a really great mentor and she's a really great friend. Oh, yeah. I remember Allie. She worked in the lab right across the hall from me. So what is she up to now? Well, she's not in academia anymore, (laughs) but she's not too far. You know, those people that would come to our research building and give presentations about technologies? This was before the whole world shut down because of the pandemic. But they would come with sales reps from the company and pretty much give presentations and demos of technology. Is it ringing? Maybe. Here's a better hint. They usually come with free food. Oh, yes. Of course. I totally remember who you're talking about now. How could I forget all that free food? Right? I mean, you just bring like a tray of food into a room and all the grad students are going to be like meerkats. Like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Well, the people that give those presentations are called field application scientists. This week, I spoke to Allie, who is a field application scientist at a genomics company. Cool. So does she just give those presentations? What else does she do? No, she doesn't just give those presentations. She does a lot more than that, but that is a big part of her job for sure. She gave me a really good breakdown of what a field application scientist actually does. Pre-COVID, I would say I was like a traveling professor for the company. So I would go around in my specific territory. Uh, So my territory is like the North Mid-Atlantic. So like, I think New York, New Jersey, PA, uh, Pennsylvania. So I would go to a different accounts, like let's say there's someone at NYU, then okay, I go to NYU and I either meet with them, just have a pre-sales consultation. So what that means is I would sit down and just tell them what what does the company do, like what products do we have, how can they potentially use it in their research. Pre-sales also encompasses like seminars, kind of like casting the net to see who who is interested and It's actually, um, those seminars that you go to, there's a lot of work that goes into them behind the scenes. And I don't think a lot of um, academics realize that, Uh, especially if it's on site, like just traveling somewhere. That's probably one of the hardest things about the job is time management and travel and trying to figure out how that works. But then, so with all the pre-sale stuff, you also have another bucket for post-sales. So once a product has been sold or an instrument has been sold to the customer, 
then the field application scientist is the one that trains the customer on the instrument, trains them on the product. For my company, we have a software for data analysis, and so I would also train them on the data analysis side of things. And then I would say there's a third bucket of just troubleshooting. <laughs> there are people that, you know, when you have a brand new product, like you're going to mess up and that's fine. That's okay. So the person they come to when they mess up is me. And so I tell them like, Hey, well, you know, you might want to try doing this differently this time, or, you know, make sure you follow the guidelines or whatever it might be. So every day it's, there's something different, which is, it's nice. Uh, it can be a lot sometimes, but overall it's, it's pretty good. Looking back at those seminars, I can't believe there was so much work that went into them behind the scenes. All I really remember were the packed elevators of people trying to get down to the auditorium before the food ran out, and then the food line outside of the door, and those free pens that they give out. Oh gosh, those pens. Those are like the best writing pens I think I've ever had. And I don't think those company pens were free. (laughs) So why did you take those? (laughs) Oops. I mean, I guess they were great pens, and I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, they are really great pens. And Allie gets to use those pens all the time, since she works at one of those companies now. (laughs) That's awesome. So how did she hear about the job of field application scientist? Did she just, like, ask at one of those seminars, and she just, you know, had so much fun getting free food that she (laughs) asked if she could join? Yeah, so I asked Allie how she came across her current job, and I really love her answer because you're right, it did have to do with free food. She gave me a super relatable story about being a broke postdoc, which I think we can totally relate to as broke grad students. And the story involves free bagels. Being a postdoc, you're poor and you are hungry. And so I saw that there was a, a sales rep. When I met him, that opened up a whole new relationship I didn't know I could have with industry people. And there was another guy from Stem Cell Technologies where he was the same way with me. We just became really good friends. And then they started including me in like, hey, we're going to have free food at these places because we know that, you know, don't have enough money for food. So (laughs) um, so he's like, hey, do you want a free bagel? And I'm like, "Uh, yes, it's a free meal in itself. (laughs) So I went there and then he was like, well, we're also hiring. Do you, do you want, do you want a job? And I'm like, what? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's how I heard about the opening for field application scientists. Well, that is an awesome story. So I guess when these seminars start back up again, and I'm feeling hungry, I might actually leave one with a shiny new job, as well as a big old. Right? A total win-win situation in my book. So how do you talk to the sales reps when, you know, there's so many people and you're trying to eat all the free food you can? <laughs> well, you shouldn't really talk with your mouthful, Margaret. That's impolite. When you're not eating, you can use some of the advice that Ali gave me on how you can build those relationships and how you can get those cool opportunities. One big piece of advice is become friends with the sales reps or whoever else you interact in industry. They are not scary people. They're actually probably some of the nicest people you will find on campus because, well, they have to be. (laughs) They have to be nice. They, and maybe I shouldn't say have to be, but they are, 
they're hired for being personable and they're hired for just helping people. You know, of course they have a sales quota and stuff like that. And I know other academics have issues with sales reps, but honestly, they've only ever been fantastic to me when I was in academia. If you know of any reps in the area that you are friendly with, or you could even consider them being your friend, ask them about what opportunities they have at their company. Because a little spoiler alert, there's also like a referral commission type of thing. So if you refer someone, you also get X amount of dollars because, hey, you referred great talent. So for the sales reps, they want you to get it because they also get the benefit of, you know, a little extra cash, but mainly because they know that they've brought in a really good talent to the company. So the team is going to be even stronger. That's the true reason why they try to refer people. But also speaking of referrals, don't just go to sales reps and be like, refer me. If you're like, no, you need to build that relationship. <laughs> I I have had some people on Facebook or LinkedIn, like see that I work at this company and they'll just message me. They'll be like, I want to be referred for this position. I'm like, and who are you? Like, I, I don't know who you are. Like I new phone who does, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to respond. So, um, yeah, that relationship building is is very important. I guess I better start attending those networking events and product fairs and the lab and strike up some conversations with the vendors as well. I'm right there with you. I honestly feel so intimidated when I go to those things. I'm so used to being at the bench, doing my experiments and not talking to anyone that when I have to speak to another human being, I feel so out of my natural habitat. I also just feel like I don't want to let these sales reps down, you know, like I should probably buy something, but I'm like the lowest one in the food chain of my lab. So I really have no say in what we buy. I can relate on every level. I guess we just have to get used to being uncomfortable until we're eventually comfortable talking to these people. How else are we going to network to get outside of the lab? I guess if you're an introvert, then the public speaking and networking part of Allie's job could be a really big stressor. Did Allie mention anything that she found stressful about being an FAS? Yeah, you know, obviously every job is not perfect. So she did mention a couple things that she found a bit stressful. When I was traveling, travel was one of the biggest ones. And and I love to travel. travel. I'm someone that gets that travel bug and just has to get out. But even for me, um, it could be a lot because sometimes you'll just come home. You know, let's say I just came home from New York City. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, nice long day trip, whatever, back home. And then you get an email, be like, hey, can you come back? I'm like, oh, my God. So <laughs> then I have to, like, hop on the train again and put on the happy face. Because, you know, overall, I do love my job and I do love helping people. But it can um, it can be exhausting at times. And I then started being better at how to... Um, manage expectations or manage my time and how to talk to my sales reps and tell them, be like, I'm not doing these one day trips in New York all the time. That's five hours of travel for me. Like, whereas they lived in New York. So for them, it wasn't a big deal. But for me, I'm like, don't pull me in for a 30 minute call. That's something that could have been a call where, you know, that that's a, not the most effective way of using my time. And then the other hard thing is probably working with all types of personalities. So 
since I support hundreds slash thousands of people, like you do come across personalities that may rub you the wrong way. Like if you weren't an application scientist, you'd be like, eh, I probably wouldn't be friends with you. <laughs> but uh, so trying to win people over can be a bit hard. And so that's part of the performance, you know, using humor. And I don't know, like I, this, I won't say the account's name, but there is an account in New York where I knew going in, they're going to be really tough. And I was like, okay, well, they already don't like us. So like, I have to go in there and train them. Well, yay. And, but then the first day I was just extremely happy, extremely bubbly, like way more than what I usually am because it's just kind of my, that was my, um, I wouldn't say defense mechanism, but like the armor I'd put on, right. To just, even if they give me these looks or whatever, like just keep on doing your thing. Like you're, you know, I know how to train them. And by the second day, they loved me. And so the second day they were like, Hey, Allie. And I'm like, who are you? (laughs) Okay. And so after that, like, you know, a few of them, I did become really friendly with, and they, it was kind of like they were testing me to see if I knew what I was doing. Um, Because part of it was, I think all of them were older than me. So they see like this younger female walking in and they're like, probably part of them thinking like, oh God, like, does she even know what she's talking about? And then you have to prove yourself. So I think those are probably the two hardest things. And it takes time to figure it out. There we go with the talking to people again. I guess if you're doing customer service as part of your career, you're always going to have those issues. But it seems like you just need to know that that's what you're getting into with a job like this. And obviously, if you can't deal with people, then maybe you shouldn't be an FAS. Exactly. That's why career exploration during your PhD is so important. All of what Ali brought up seems stressful, but I think she does a really good job finding those solutions. Yeah, I got that too. She seems to really love her job. Was there any aspect of grad school that helped Ali with her current role? I was curious about that too. So I asked Ali if there were any transferable skills she was able to use for her career from her PhD. In her answer, she talks about a science parody she wrote and performed for Taste of Science San Diego. We both went to that, remember? I remember. My advisor actually gave a talk right before her rap, and she totally stole the show. I mean, she wrote a rap about CRISPR to one of the songs from Hamilton. Yes, what a great time. Well, she uses that as an example of something you should mention if it comes up during an interview. And apart from that, she gives a lot of great transferable skills we might not have thought of. I will make a note that when I was in my PhD, I had no idea what a transferable skill was. I did not even know what that was. It wasn't until my postdoc when I started talking more with people that were trying to help people get into industry is when I heard the term transferable skill. And I didn't even realize that I had them. So I think a few examples, it's kind of hard to define a transferable skill, right? So I think the examples are a bit easier. For me, I think knowing how to manage my time as a postdoc was huge and knowing how to manage a couple direct reports. Like I had a technician in the lab who, you know, she didn't always report to me, but she was part of the project. And so I technically 
had project management. I didn't even think about that. Um, and then when Gabby was my student, like I had mentoring experience. I personally didn't think that was useful in industry, but it's hugely useful, huge, huge, huge useful. So if you have undergrads that you are mentoring, make sure you put that on your resume. That That's a big thing. And then even personality qualities, like being personable and easy to get along with, a lot of times that you can't really coach that. That's just you. That That's yourself. And so if you are a people person or if people have told you several times, like, oh, you're so easy to talk to, figure out a way on how to communicate that on your resume or even like in your interviews, phone interview, whatever, just be personable. And, you know, of course, like presentation skills, that's, of course, a, a transferable skill, but it's also like a, could be a scientific skill too. So I think that's kind of on the cusp of transferable. Another one that, you know, you probably wouldn't put on a resume, but something for you to just acknowledge is building confidence in yourself. I, a lot of grad students, even me, when I had a great mentor, like grad school is just hard and grad school can weigh really heavy on you. And so that imposter syndrome creeps in, that imposter syndrome tells you like, oh, you're, you're not actually good at this or that. Like building up that inner cheerleader inside you to build up that confidence is huge. And that can be transferred into industry because industry wants to hire people that are confident, that speak with conviction. That's like a quote I've heard from so many different people in industry is when you're presenting, people want to believe you. And you want to be able to believe the technology too, so that you can communicate that to other people. So that having that under your belt too is is big. Like for me personally, during my postdoc, I had to go to therapy <laughs> to find that. Like I know like it's, I was kind of embarrassed to talk about that for a while, but now I'm like, no, like postdoc was really rough. And for, you know, reasons within the lab, in my personal life, and a lot of challenges. And so going to get help is, is good. Discussing like skills to make you stand out. If you have some kind of cool, I don't know, artistic side to you or something, like if you're a phenomenal baker, I don't know, anything, say that in your phone screen. Like if it comes up just authentically and just, you know, it's a genuinely something you guys are talking about with the whoever you're interviewing with, they love that because I like I the HR manager, she had I think she had asked me something like, oh, are you are you comfortable speaking in front of groups of people? I'm like, well, Last week, I just rapped in front of like a hundred people or whatever, how many people were there. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I rewrote Alexander Hamilton to do a CRISPR. And she's like, what? <laughs> so, like, she remembered me and that became a huge thing. And that's a big reason why they hired me because they're like, this girl writes science parodies like that. So she's not scared. You know, she's not scared to like, you know, present in front of people. And uh, little did I know that the company I work for is like they love karaoke. It's like a huge part of their culture. This entire week has actually been like a karaoke contest for them. Needless to say, I've been like submitting a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of parodies. And <laughs> it got even to the CEO's level of like, he loves karaoke and he 
has now knows me as like this scientist who also likes music and so it, it may not even just help you get the job it can help you go further up the ladder and now that the ceo knows me my name if you know in the future if i say like hey i would like this job for x y and z and if he sees my name there he'd be like oh yeah i, I know her because a big part of promotion is all about exposure you would think it'd be about talent unfortunately it's not usually how it goes getting your name out there and showing off your cool talents that even in your interviews um it, it'll help so from experience <laughs> those are all great points but it sounds like these skills are great things to showcase during an interview what about the step before the interview how could i write those skills on the resume that's a great question. Ali mentioned that you should make your skills quantifiable on your resume and that you should tailor your resume to the exact wording that is seen on the job description. One thing I like to do, you know, like in your resume, you have those main three bullet points that right under your name and you, and you highlight something about you. Make it quantifiable. So have some kind of number there. So if you say you're an experienced science communicator, Okay, cool, but give evidence, prove that. And so say I'm a experienced science communicator because I've presented at X amount of conferences and then in parentheses say oral presentation and posters, whatever. You will be amazed as to how many posters you give in your PhD program. Even even the ones for your program retreats, add that because it's still technically a presentation. Again, when I was saying like Every time you see that there's an opportunity to present, do it. You know, you, you might fumble once or twice. Who cares? You're not going to get fired. So <laughs> just, just continue doing it. And then you're going to become a superstar. And then by the time your defense, like you're going to feel, you know, for me, I felt fairly confident, actually pretty confident when I was presenting my defense. Cause I was like, Oh, I've done this. Like, you know, X amount of times. I don't remember the number of times I did it, but that's what you would also be doing as an FAS is giving a presentation so many times that now I don't even have to look at the slide. I just keep on clicking the button and just like presenting because I know exactly what's on the slide. Two other points I'll make about that. Um, in my resume, I have a box off to the right or left, wherever you want to put it. Um, and it just has bullet points of what's my research area. So I'm a stem cell biologist. That's one bullet. Another bullet, I worked in vascular biology. Okay, two. Three, I also worked in neuroscience. Okay, that's the third one. And just go through your fairly big picture points that you do. Don't mention proteins that you worked with, like TGF beta, God, no, don't do that. Like <laughs> the, the HR person's not gonna know what you're talking about. But when they see stem cell, okay, almost everyone's heard of stem cells or vascular, okay, we know that's like vessels, whatever. And then also on that bullet point, add communication or like science communication, uh, Microsoft Office, that's always good. <laughs> and, um, and then right now, you guys are pros at Zoom now. So add Zoom, or if you have Microsoft Teams or any kind of virtual communication. And then if you have any other skills with um, like Adobe Illustrator, or uh, if you're a photographer, you know, just things like that, that set you apart, put in that little box. You want to make sure your resume matches up with the job description. I know it sounds pretty 
obvious, uh, but you want to use the same exact words in the job description in your resume. So if, let's say you say, oh, I know how to do immunohistochemistry. But if the job posting says IHC, then the algorithm will not pick up that you said immunohistochemistry. You have to do it exactly as it says. That is so enlightening. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, remember, humans don't look at resumes the first time around. We really have to please those algorithms. I'm learning so much already. Me too. One thing I loved about having Allie as a mentor was that she was patient with me and she gave really great advice. So I ended my interview with Allie by asking her if she had any advice for students interested in the same career as her. Here's what she had to say. Remember that you're more than just a PhD program. You are more than your project. And you're more than what your PI might think of you. So I know that there's probably some grad students listening that may not have a fantastic relationship with their PI. So I don't want to open up too much of a can of worms, but like even even when I had a, a fantastic advisor, I still had mental health issues in grad school big time uh, because of other people I had to interact with. I really wish I had gone to get help then, but I was too scared because um, I was I was just scared. I, I just didn't, I, I thought something bad would happen if I went to go seek help. And so if you are feeling like that, go ask for help, even if it's just a friend. If, if you're not comfortable talking to a therapist, go ask for help, especially during this time. Even on the other side of the curtain, on an in industry now, I still see how some PIs treat their students, and some of the things that they ask out of the students are just absurd and unrealistic. So if you need to take a moment and just go walk outside and take a breath of fresh air, do that. Just five minutes to yourself, calm down. The email is not going anywhere. <laughs> And the, and the professor can wait because you are more important than whatever they're asking for. Allie should be a motivational speaker. I feel super uplifted. I know. Me too. I kind of wish she was still around in the lab to talk to me through all of my failed experiments so she could just cheer me on in the background. She's just so motivational. Yes. And she also taught us a lot about what a field application scientist does that I didn't know before. For sure. So here are some of the take-homes that I got from our interview. Field application scientists are the professors of the company that teach technologies to scientists. So be nice to your sales reps. They might get you a job and a free bagel and get help even if you don't think you need it. And when you're in an interview for a potential job, mention the time you performed a science parody rap about CRISPR to a non-academic audience. Thanks for listening to our first episode and tune in every week on Tuesday for new episodes. Please share us with a PhD student in your life to help us grow. Join us next week to learn more about how other scientists translate their training. Find us at Translate Your Training wherever you find podcasts. Read our show notes and find our episodes on our website at translateyourtraining.org. Follow us on Instagram at translateyourtraining and on Twitter at tyourtpodcasts or send us an email at translateyourtraining at gmail.com. This episode was produced by us, Margaret Burns and Gabriella Goldberg. Our logo is by Eileen Ibar, and our intro music is by Luke Urza.